Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, the Hall of Famer himself, good old JR, Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. Better not deserve to be probably. It's a huge week in my world. And for some of us, some of those that join us on Wednesday night from Charlotte, you know, that's how it started. It's, I got a, another trip I'm making to Baltimore, not only to be at StarCast, but also to do a little play-by-play for uh, Full Gear. And uh, I can tell you, Conrad, this is re- reminiscent of when uh, I was younger and very emotionally invested in what I was doing, uh, as far as work was concerned, uh, I've looked forward to packing. Uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I talked before we recorded this show, you know, I was hell. I've been trying to get packed since, you know, Sunday, I'm ready to go to work. I'm really ready to see how this team's going to play this week, our young group of guys and gals and, uh, see what they're learning and if they're putting to use what they are learning, because that's part of our process. So. It's a fun, it's going to be a fun week, an eye-opening week. I think a lot of talents between their performances on Wednesday and Saturday night on pay-per-view are going to do a lot for themselves or not on their wealth or their, not, not their wealth, their value, because everybody's always auditioning. And so what is my value? Your value is what you provided on your last opportunity. So that's what we all got that opportunity to do this week is kick some ass. And I think, I think it's going to be a fun night, both nights, Wednesday night's good, uh, happy, but man, I'm, I'm jacked up about this uh, Saturday night show. Yeah. Listen, I think everybody's jacked up, you know, Baltimore is a wrestling hub and there's so much wrestling history there and you'll get to enjoy it with Starcast four in Baltimore. And of course, full gear. I'm sure we'll be talking that as we continue down our show today, but let's get things kicked off, man. We, we made this our. Hashtag ask JR episode. This is your chance to ask the voice of professional wrestling, anything you want. And, uh, we're going to try to get through as many of these as we can. Jim, are you ready? I'm ready, sir. Uh, Jeff writes in, how do you respond to those people who call wrestling fake? Well, 
I think it's the wrong word to use. Uh, wrestling is a uh, theatrical performance, obviously, uh, for many of us. We've known that for quite some time. Uh, and the actors within this uh, body of work perform their own stunts. They also uh, perform multiple live shows per year. So fake is probably not the right way to describe it. I think uh, uh, predetermined, the outcomes being predetermined is one thing, but the course of getting from the, from the opening bell to the closing bell is, is not fake. You're not, there's not a, a, a mysterious bed of air that prevents you from hitting the mat hard or getting hit in the face or whatever. It's the, it's a, it's the act of the, uh, of humans trying to, to, to fight so that they're so good at what they do that we forget that they are in a performance. So I think fake is a bad way to describe it. I would agree. I would agree. Let's keep it moving here. This is a, a deep cut here. I can't wait to see your reaction. Bad money. Slim friend of the show wants to know. Your memories of the train wreck that was Triple H Scott Steiner at Royal Rumble 2003. Scott Steiner. Oh, well, they had no chemistry. Uh, and neither wanted to go out of their way, seemingly, to make the other guy look as good as he could have. It's a, it's not a, this, these things are not acapella deals. There's a symmetry and a teamwork and a, a some degree of unity that has to exist when a match is booked and when the talents get in the ring to perform it. Uh, these guys just, I don't know if it was, they didn't like each other. I had no, I, I'm sure there, I'm sure there were issues. I don't, I don't recall them ever spending the holidays together, but, uh, so I would just say it was a lack of chemistry and, uh, cooperation and both guys, quite frankly. At that point in their life, could have been a little bit more professional. Jay wants to know what are your uh, what are some of your favorite cities to visit while you're working or otherwise. Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, I, I have a I'm so lucky in this deal. When the jovial chubby cheek Oklahoma boy comes out that hat on, I never seemingly have met a stranger. I I'm easy to talk to, I'm easy to approach, uh, unless I'm standing at the urinal and of course my hands are full, uh, or oh, I'm eating. Oh, oh. So, uh, that's not, a, those are not good times just uh, as a heads up for those, but I, I, a lot of cities are great. I mean, I love the warm weather places. I'm a warm weather guy. Uh, I've had great times and I've had some great times in Toronto. I had a. I had a wonderful experience one night in my hotel room in Montreal. And I don't think either one of us knew what the hell we we're talking about. Cause she spoke French and I spoke something else, but it's just great. You, you get always the foods the, I, I'm a foodie. I like to go different cities, always offer there somewhere in that city, Pat Patterson and, uh, Jerry Briscoe and I went to, we had a big show in Manchester, England, and we wanted a place to go eat local or whatever. And so. The guy gave us a direction over to Chinatown in Man and uh, uh, in Manchester, a walk from the hotel we were staying at. It was one of the best experiences, most fun nights I ha I've had in my career. The food was unbelievably delicious, and we drank a lot of sake and you know, it's chilly night, and the warm sake. I got drunk. Patterson got drunk. Briscoe got drunk. 
and we, we ate and, and laughed how much we appreciated Vince buying our booze and our food. But little things like that's what you remember. I, I can tell you that right now. Little things like that. And then going, you know, going to Japan, uh, being taken to a bathhouse by the Yakuza when some of our party had tattoos and they still got in. Uh, Tony Schwann and I were laughing about that experience the other day. It's just amazing uh, the things we've been able to do. But the point back to the that trip was that that was cool because of the we 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 took on a little dark side of the culture. It was kind of mysterious and adventuresome, but the food that we were able to, uh, that they provided for us was simply amazing. So I, I love the travel. That's why, you know, I'm getting this job with AEW, Tony Khan saved my life. I believe that because I like getting up now. I like getting, I going somewhere, uh, you know, every Tuesday morning, man, I'm up at four or five o'clock at the latest. Catch a plane, first flight out, boom, going to the city to do, do have our do have our production meeting on Tuesday night, and then our show on Wednesday. So I got a direction now and a destination, and all of them are fun. You make them fun. I I, I go on Twitter at JR's BBQ Conrad and say, "What's the best barbecue place in uh, Baltimore?" I'll get I- I- endless suggestions, and I love that about our fans and the fact that they enjoy watching me eat. I guess. Let's talk a little bit about, um, Saturday morning TV. Jay Stovall writes in growing up as a youth, I was a big fan of Saturday morning programming, especially watching action zone and live wire. Do you have any good Todd Pettengill stories? I feel like he doesn't get talked about very much. Todd probably was an underrated guy. He, he, he did more knowing less product knowledge than just about anybody I can think of, but I never had a, uh, issues with him whatsoever. He was not an ego. He wasn't. He was not an egomaniac in my eyes, uh, but that's from one egomaniac proven me talking about him. He may have been one. I just didn't see it, uh, but he was a good guy to work around. I, he was talented as hell. Uh, I remember one time Todd Petgo got the biggest last, the biggest laugh on a, on a thing with the McMahons. I can't remember where we were, but he, he had this idea. He, and Linda was there and Linda always thought Todd was hilarious. And he, he was a funny guy. So Todd, uh, imitated a, uh, a wrestling announcer with Tourette's and to be honest with you, it was funny as hell, but you obviously can't do it on TV cause you're mock- mocking, uh, someone that's, uh, has an issue, but Linda, I remember Linda loved it. Todd's a good guy. Uh, he was, he was a player. He had a great gig going with Scott Shannon in New York city on, uh, in the mornings, the WPLJ, uh, but I consider him a friend, but he just. He wasn't an ego guy, probably a little underrated as far as wrestling fans are concerned, but you got to understand he got by with the credibility that he needed to by, and knowing less than he, you would ever dream. Uh, so he was, that means to me, he understood how to process what he knew and how to communicate it. So that's talent. Okay. Fabe wants to know what's a key skill of being a professional broadcaster slash commentator that most people don't think is important when pertaining to the job. Oh, preparation, preparation. I was just going through, uh, notes before I, when I packed on uh, to leave Oklahoma to go on this trip. And, uh, you know, I've got every, every note on the talent, the bios that Alex Marvez is so kind enough to provide us, uh, I got all of everyone he's ever distributed since we started this business. So I got bios and every talent 
multiple times. And sometimes, and it changes because the results of last week changes. You bring the stories forward, but preparation is probably the biggest thing. And little things like you know, uh, when you're when you're calling a live event, you have to utilize the monitor and not your eyesight as much as you, you would think. So you're, you're, you need to be fixated on the monitor because the monitor is what we're seeing at home. And it's your job to describe or add a narrative uh, to the uh, that lyric to that music that they're seeing or hearing. So it's the preparation to me has always been the key thing. And that means a lot of things. It doesn't mean who, how tall are they, what town they come from, or how many titles have they won and all that stuff. You know, know something about them and uh, understand that, where you who you are, where your audience is, and it's just a, it, like paper use is a little different than than uh, uh, Wednesday night for us. For me, it is because there's no there's no TV time, there's no there's no commercials. So the preparation is the biggest thing, and that goes for a lot of things, guys. If you're a broadcaster, you want to be a broadcaster, you want to do baseball or hockey or whatever, you got to prepare. You got to know who the players are. You got to know what the game plan is. What it's going to take for this team to win? What's going to take for this other team to win? And then have all that stuff filed away where it's automatic. It's on an automatic recall, so so that you can focus on getting into the flow of what you're seeing and adding the correct narrative. So, prep work is the key to success, in my view. Uh, Mike Whitaker wants to know if Bruce Pritchard, Tony Schiavone, and Eric Bischoff each started their own wrestling company. How would you rank them? Dumb, dumb, and dumber. None of those guys are silly enough to even entertain that idea. However, in the spirit of your fantasy and your fantasy booking, IE question, uh, well, Bischoff probably is the most structured businessman. Uh, and I don't know that Tony and Bruce uh, would, would have that commitment on the structural side because the, the Tony would probably be the second guy and then probably Bruce coming up at the end and not because Bruce is not a businessman. He is, he's a creative businessman. That's just, that's just forte creativity. And some of those creative cats are not as structured and buttoned up as other guys are. So therefore I would say that Bruce probably on the business side is not quite as buttoned up as Bischoff but they're very good at the specific things that they do. It's not just one, it's not one, it's like socks anymore. One size fits all. This ain't a one size fit all deal. No argument for me. Let's keep it moving here. This is a fun one. Uh, <laughs> deplorable hombre wants to know inquiring minds want to know as far as non-competitors like announcers and commentators, as far as you know, is AEW chocolate cake friendly? Yes, they are. Uh, at least I think they are. Uh, chocolate cake, the old, the old, the old buzzword, heinous buzzword for pot. I, you know, here I haven't seen anybody smoking pot at the building, <laughs> to be honest with you, or at the hotel. But I've never heard it discussed. Uh, I've never heard any of our, and we've all got, we've all been, had, we've all had documents presented to us and things of that nature to explain co company policies, but it's not an everyday discussion. Therefore it is perceived in my view, at least in my professional opinion that we have, we don't have any significant issues whatsoever at this time, but humans are humans. They can fall off the wagon. They can make mistakes. Uh, 
but I don't think there's any big issues there right now. These kids are so damn young, many of them, and hungry, and seeing opportunity that's lying before their eyes, so they're not making 25 or 40 or 50 or maybe 100 bucks a night on an indie show. They got a chance to really make some money. And I tell, I tell these guys this all the time. Don't screw this up. I had a great talk the other day with the, the Lucha brothers. I said, man, you guys are as good a tag team as I think I've seen maybe forever. The only thing that's going to stop you is yourself. And that goes for almost everybody else just them in this locker room. So don't screw up. And they're great kids. They get it. Hey, this is for your family, man. This is not one of those. We're not writing country songs here, but you got a chance to change your life in this company. So why wouldn't you try that? Why wouldn't you be the best you can be and see where it takes you with no fun and games. So that's, if there's any, if there's any, any issues there, but I think, you know, I don't know that there's any, uh, chocolate cake, uh, uh, referendums ongoing Conrad. You haven't heard of you. Oh no, I, 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 it's never come up. This is the never. first time I've ever even considered yeah. that that might be a question. Yeah. I think we're good there, buddy. Mike Dolman wants to know what might it sound like if Gordon Soley were to promote blue chew. Well, uh, my cock has never been harder since, oh, maybe 47, 48 was at this era, <laughs> but, and now it's harder than a cat could scratch. It's, uh, uh hard. Uh, Mr. Perfect fan can, uh, Canada writes the downfall of JCP has been fairly well documented over the years. A lot of common mistakes are brought up that sped up the death. If someone could have avoided some or all of those mistakes, would McMahon have still found another way to wipe the company out? Uh, it would have been challenging. The issue that Turner had refused to, to yield their muscle with, uh, the, uh, cable and satellite uh, cable and pay-per-view companies, uh, all the broadcast partners and entities, they had a big group of those guys, uh, big players in the cable world that were, were on Turner's stockholders and big investors. If he could have ever pulled that together to where they could have seen what the potential of pay-per-view was and have product knowledge of pro wrestling, which they did not then, because at that point they didn't really know what they had. And that was unfortunate, but I don't think, uh, I think the, uh, the Thanksgiving Crockett hadn't have a, didn't have the, the, the working capital to have to, to fund too many failures. And that's what happened. And the knockout punch of course was, you know, the, uh, head to head on what Thanksgiving night. And that killed, that killed all that. Uh, and there's a lot of money invested in that deal and a lot of money, but I, I think there was a lot of money on the line there based on what the per perceived income would be. So this we'll we'll get this to come in. Well, this cash show will definitely be here after the pay-per-view. No, it wouldn't. It died a natural death because McMahon went head to head, uh, against us. And of course, then when we turned around and did the same thing in that clash one, it caused a big old, you know, pissing contest. And so then the cable system said, well, we just came off WrestleMania three McMahon's made us a lot of money, a burden of hands were two in the bush. They didn't look at the big picture. They did not look at the long term, and they didn't look at their broadcast partner, Ted Turner. So there are a lot of misconnections, a lot of bad management. Uh, but I think if the game could have stayed somewhat equal as far as the, the pay-per-view distribution, 
that Crockett would have been just fine, quite frankly. Matt Wright wants to know how well did the Von Eriks sell tickets in mid South? They sold good. They sold well, uh, especially in Oklahoma city and Tulsa because, and the reason for that is, is that not every hour of our hours in mid South had a syndicated, uh, world-class championship wrestling show, but most of them had cable systems that carried, uh, Channel 11 out of, uh, out of Dallas, Fort Worth, they carried the Von Eric's Saturday night show, two hour show, I think from, uh, well, was it? I can't remember. Was, I can't remember off the top of my head. If it was from, uh, I think it was from Sportatorium or it might've been the old, the old, well, the, the place of Fort Worth. Anyway, uh, that cable, that cable show got good ratings and it got, it got great reach. And it created a great name identity for the Von Ericks. And, and through that cable show, and of course, in their syndicated show, if you were lucky enough to get that, uh, and just enforce the fact that these kids are special and that they were main event stars and that you get a rare opportunity to see them come in. And, and Watts is good about booking them, you know, as he, he always, he, they would always need to go over, but it wasn't without a struggle. And then it might be some at the end where they'd shoot an angle for the next show to give them a, a, a better reason to return. But yeah, they did well. They, they were, they contributed us. I could tell you that, you know, there was one time they came to Tulsa and, uh, cowboy comes in, I'm, I'm doing the TV, but you know, helping put the TV together with whoever was booking at that time. And, uh, so we got, uh, Carrie is there. Kevin is there and, uh, Chris, Chris is just tagging along and, uh, I couldn't find him. And I finally found him near the babyface locker room out in the hallway behind a row of, uh, folding chairs lying on the floor asleep. And then we went into the, I went into the, the other, the babyface locker room and I had to get somebody to tie Carrie's Carrie's boots. And it was sad. And so then the cowboy comes in, how's everything going? You know, I said, well, not so great. You know, so like any promoter, he don't want to hear any bad news. So what is it? I said, well, of course, Fritz is his partner. I said, your partners, two of your partner's sons are having a little problem here tonight. One's right over here. And I took him over there and Bill, you know, is he dead? No, he's not dead. He's passed out. And then Carrie is having trouble tying his shoes. So I can't remember somebody, some good dudes, a referee, maybe somebody had tied his boots for him. It was just, that was the wild west, man. And guess what? You said, well, thank you. didn't let them wrestle. Did you? They sure as hell did. Was the right decision to make? Of course not. Of course not. It wasn't my decision whether it was or it wasn't, it was not the right decision, but the fans paid for the Von Erickson. God damn it. They got the Von Erickson. The irony of this is those kids uh, carry, especially I think, I think Kevin was, I don't think Kevin was nearly that kind of shape at that point. At least I saw. But man, uh, when that, when that, when that light came on and that music hit and that crowd cheered and boy, they carry Von Eric at one time was hotter than donut grease. He was hotter than fucking Elvis. And he, 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 he sexual, the sexuality and, and, and animal magnetism, Mr. Born, oh my God, it was sexy. So yeah, they helped us a lot. And it's just that we. What I say on the show, Conrad, what's the most valuable trait that you can have if you're going to be a wrestler? Reliability. 
You can't rely on them. You can't plan anything big for them. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Let's keep it moving here. Really fun question here from Ronnie Justice. He says, do you think if given a fair shot to succeed, you and Cornette could have been just as good as you and King? Corny has said multiple times that Don and Russo did not like that much Southern on one show. I liked you guys together. Thanks for the lifetime of memories. What's, what's, what's interesting about that is Lawler's from Tennessee. So he's a Southern guy, but maybe it would have been a little <laughs> too Southern. Uh, to, for, for it to be Cornette and Jim Ross. What do you think though? Could, could that duo have worked long-term? Cornette was a Kentuckian, as we know. Absolutely. Uh, there were times when there were shows that we, Corny and I had together, uh, clashes or pay-per-views or our, our TV Friday night shows that where we had a nice fat match to call that he was as good as I ever worked with. Uh, but you know, there's always. You know, both of us have big mouths and both of those are kind of a, uh, uh, too political at times in our business. At least I know I am, have was, uh, so there's always something that imploded our, our duo, but he was really, really good to say that we would be better than, uh, the King and Jr. or as I prefer to call it in Oklahoma and Jr. and the King, uh, hard to say. Uh, cause Lawler and I worked through, if you think about it, some amazing times in the history of our business, amazing times, life, death, all kinds of, you know, all kinds of things, you know, money, not wars, 83 weeks, getting our ass kicked in a row, you know, steered the course, all the things we endured and we worked through and, and came out on the other side. I think it was an amazing uh, 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 asset to WWE and I'm sure they would say the same thing in the right audience, but I really, uh, Lawler was special, but Cornette was really, really effing good, really good. And, and look, so there's other guys, Terry Funk was underrated as hell when he was focused and wanted to go, geez, to try to duel him mentally. Are you kidding? He was amazing. So I've had in Heenan. God, Heenan, God bless him. He had a birthday recently as talented a human being as I've ever seen in the wrestling business. And I'm sitting in my office talking about looking at the picture, a signed picture of Dwayne Johnson, a big movie poster from his walking tall movie. I love that movie. I love, love the other one too. The original would be professor story. Uh, but Heenan was the best overall performer that I've ever seen with my eyes in the wrestling business. 
a heel, a, a, a psychologically sound heel, of which there are very few of today whatsoever. He was a master at it. He was as as good a manager as I ever saw. I there's not a better manager than Bobby Heenan ever in the business ever. Well, what about well, what about so get out your basement kids, put the Kleenex up, okay? Listen, Uncle Jr. here with you. Then you can go in your your little Google machine and you can figure this shit out. I stay out the porn channels. Yeah, Bobby Heenan, the best I ever saw, and the TV host, TV color, color analyst, God. He's just, he's amazing. Go back and look at any of his work, folks, in any of those areas, any of those areas that I just described job descriptions and tell me he wasn't as good as you ever saw doing that role. Oh, by the way, he's good because I ever saw doing this role, the best. So uh, Bobby Heen is always the number one MVP to me because he could do more things better than anybody I've ever seen. Ringside rant wants to know, JR, if you were to book a stadium show for AEW, where would you book it? And what would your main event be? God, man. Well, I mean, what year, like 19 to 2020, look, you got a core there. You got a core talent that had that, uh, Tony Khan has invested heavily in Cody, the bucks and Kenny Omega. Now there's other cats there to get paid a lot of money too, but I would say they're the top four guys. So like I told some kids there in AEW the other day, I said, Everybody wants to sell t-shirts. I think you got to be a baby face to sell t-shirts. You don't not in this world. So that's good for you. I said, but we got four guys and I just named them. Just named them and they are getting paid a lot of money, rightfully so. And they're occupying a position on the team as baby face. That's the position they play. So let's say if that's remotely true and you still are on your quest to be a baby face at AEW. Right now, the way I see it, the best you're going to do is number five. If you drop down just a little bit, you're already at number six. So I ask you, who is the number one heel? Well, that's obvious. Chris Jericho trying to get packed there. Uh, Moxie's got to be figuring the other mix of those other four guys. The way to be make money right now in wrestling is to be a believable heel that understands the psychology of wrestling that understands that he or she must be able to feed a multiple spot comeback staggering and falling on your flat back. Ain't it feeding a multiple spot comeback is what is a necessity for any heel worth a damn. So I'm, uh, uh the heel thing is big to me, but I, I, I don't know what I book. You got, you're going to book Cody and something. Uh, you're going to book, maybe it's the blow off the Cody and Jericho. Hell, I don't know. Uh, the bucks gotta be, there's a, we, we're going to have a lot of great tag teams as these young kids get better and better, but you gotta have the bucks involved in something. Maybe it's another big ladder match or a TLC match with the bucks, something along those lines. And then uh, Kenny Omega and you know, and his issue right now is John Moxley should be money for us, uh, this Saturday night, but. When I go for Conrad, I don't know, you know, but it's hard to say, but, and, and a dome, right? We're not ready for a dome right now. Well, I, I wouldn't even entertain that thought. Uh, we're not ready for a dome right now, but that's not a bad thing. We're building a brand. We've had a half a dozen shows or so. So dome is premature in my view.
Steve Hinchcliffe wants to know if you had to pick just one of your sauces, what would it be? And what would you cook for Conrad to accompany it? Well, my best sauce, there's a lot of ways to look at this, but the straight answer would be my best sauce is in JR's original because JR's original is a, uh, the, 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 the motivation for that was my mother's barbecue sauce that she made in a sauce pan on a stovetop in our little four room concrete block house, in Oklahoma. And we had a screen door because we didn't have any air conditioning. So when she would cook the screen, the door would be open and you could that aroma would go right through the screen door, right at, right outside where I was playing or doing something. So that's what we replicated that. So the, the original barbecue sauce, I say it's grandma friendly. It's kind of sweet. It's not vinegary, but I think one of the, one of the, uh, my mustard is amazing. It's got, I think, one gram of sugar in it. It's jalapeno honey mustard. It's amazing. It's really terrific. And I think that the chipotle ketchup, when warmed up, is a really interesting steak sauce. So, uh, as a matter of fact, I just uh, re- I just got a partnership with a guy this week, a friend of mine that I've been working with on some other projects. He's going to help us uh, create a website. That we're going to have a, we're going to have a warehouse here in Norman, and we're going to process our own orders. We're going to ship our own products, and we're going to try our hand at that and see how it goes. I want to be in control of my destiny, and if we have good if we don't have good customer service, it's on my ass. I don't have a problem with that, but we will have good customer service, and if we don't, we'll fix it. But we're going to be able to sell stuff and hopefully have it open before uh, by Black Friday. That's our goal. So. You know, it's, things are growing nicely, but the original barbecue sauce is the money. And I would probably make Conrad, you know, Conrad and I got to be smarter. We got to eat more turkey and chicken. So I'd probably smoke Conrad some turkey, uh, but just a backup with a steak chaser. <laughs> steak chaser. I love it. Uh, Jamie Waldrop wants to know if given the book in 89 versus a committee, what direction would you have taken the company? No corporate politics. You have complete control to hire, fire, and book. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty broad scoping uh, question. They, I would not have discarded the incumbents that, that had name identity, but I would use those individuals to make new stars. We, we fall in love with these characters. As Vince told me about Mick Foley, that's why I said, you should not hire Mick Foley. He's going to break your heart. And uh, that never happened, hadn't happened yet. So I think we're good. Um, but I appreciate what Vince is trying to tell me. He's trying to prepare me for heartbreak from talents. And I can tell you, there's plenty of talents I work with that down near come near breaking your heart than not because of that has failed. They failed in a lot of areas, but they failed and you didn't think they would. Uh, I don't know. I, what do you think, Conrad? I don't know, man. It's an interesting question, though, because uh, you I mean, know. I, a Flair's '89. We're coming off three Flair Steamboat matches, were as good as any, any matches in the United States, in my opinion. Well, those happened in '89, as did the I, Funk thing. So I know, but I, what I'm saying, whatever I did going forward would include those guys, right? Some shape, form, or fashion. Rick Flair versus blank, Ricky Steamboat versus blank, Terry Funk versus blank. They don't have to all be against each other. 
because all three of those incumbents I mentioned, Flair, Funk, and Steamboat, have the abilities to make anyone that they compete with and perform with better. And that's what you want these young guys to be, to get better. And by getting a win or a great performance or a time limit draw, anything along those lines with it, with a hall of fame guy can't hurt you. If it's if the, if the announcers have got their head out of their ass, they can't hurt you. So I'm, uh, I do something like that, but the, the object would also be, we've got to create some new stars and who's it going to be. And I never, I, I didn't have, I would not have had the confidence in, in, uh, uh, Luger as a champion. I think he's a better chaser, a better heel. Uh, I think Sting, if you're going to build a territory and create a heel factory, Sting's a great baby face to have in place, in my view. So, and you know, at one time, I would have endorsed Muda as being the NWA champion or the WCW champion. Without a doubt, something different, something global. And uh, I, but that never happened either because there was never a consensus on that. I was kind of the last guy on the island on that deal. So but I thought it'd be something different. And the women in our office love Muda. I knew that women liked his look and he, he had great skills. He had the moonsault when nobody else is doing it basically. So anyway, a lot of things like that, but you got to always look in your booking. Who's the next big thing and how am I getting there? Who is he or she and how do I make them better? Interesting question here coming on the heels of that one. What you talked about with Moodle. Brandy Wagner writes in and says, what does JR call his fans? Is there any special nickname for us female fans? Ladies. Uh, no, no special names. Uh, look, I'm a Southern guy. I, I, I could probably offend you because I'm, when we're, you and me are talking, honey, I, I just call you honey. just like that or sugar, uh, whatever. That's just. I ain't saying it's right, but I'm not saying it in the sense of trying to be salacious or distasteful or perverse. It's a way that we're raised in the South, rightly or wrongly. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's what's embedded in me. And, uh, so man, yeah, no, nothing special, but all, always with whatever it is, we'll be respectful. Talk to me a little bit about CM Punk. Great question here on Twitter. Matt Carlson wants to know, have you, or would you speak to CM Punk since I feel like you could be the perfect bridge for his return to wrestling by the possibility of coming to AEW. I have, I have a great respect for Phil Brooks. I truly do. And, uh, I think he's a marvelous performer. He's something that the business needs right now because he's real. He suspends your disbelief. Amazing storyteller. But I would love to sit down and talk to him just about, you know, uh, our friendship, you know, um, just not necessarily going straight mainline into the heart of, okay, what's it going to take to get you back? Any, any idiot can ask that question. So I think maybe you discover those things on your own. You find out, you know, where his head is and what he wants to do. Look, he, what if he just wants to do one match? Well, I would take him to do one match. I'd build it right. I get him back on TV and I'd build it and build to one match, of course, on pay-per-view so you can maximize your investment. But I don't know what Phil's commitment to the business right now would be. If he wanted to do it, I know he'd be all in. I'm just not sure that that's where his head is right now. 
He's exploring. He's got a movie out now that I think is very entertaining. He's got some nice feedback, a horror movie. Uh, you know, he's very happily married. It seems to me like that's worth a lot, man. I can tell you that from fact. So it, I would love to sit down and talk with him just about stuff, but, uh, and I think we would have a very productive conversation because we both think a lot in a lot of ways. But again, if he isn't of the mindset, Conrad, to want to get back into the business with any type of, uh, commitment, and we both know that it is a huge commitment, especially in today's world. So I don't know. I, I'd love to be able to talk with him just to, I'm going to be in uh, Chicago the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And I think I'm going to stay in Chicago for two or three days. So maybe we'll accidentally run into each other and go have a Pepsi. That'd be interesting. I, I think a lot of people would uh, want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Greg Bass wants to know there's some legendary storytellers in and around the business. In your opinion, who tells the best stories and can you give us one? Hmm. Oh my God. That's a tough well, one. Well, any of the, any of the, any, here's the deal. I'll say this. The best storytellers are generally the guys that had territory experience. And the next best story was, was the generation that followed those people into the business because they got trained by them. They were around them. They heard some of these stories, they experienced some of these stories, and then they got into the business on a level where they could actually, you know, pay the rent by, by supper. Uh, but that, that's what I would say. But there's so many, the late Skandar Akbar was one of the best storytellers of all. Jimmy Weaver, uh, from Burning, Texas. His mom and dad were or, uh, Lebanese immigrants. He was a strong man for real. The squatty fullback from Burning, Texas. I used to piss him off so much because I would do play by play in the car of the Burning Lions games where I would construct my play by play that the squatty fullback from Burning, Texas gets stopped on the one yard line. He dropped him in his tracks. He hated that. He said, I should be scored. I said, Well, you're too squatty. <laughs> so, whatever. Great storyteller, and uh, it was really fun to be around. But all those territory guys, man, they just they traveled by car. They were together all the time, and they didn't get paid. They didn't work. So if they could work five days a week or six, what do you want to do? Well, I want to work six days a week or seven. So they were together all the time. Those stories gathered up. They're passing territory to territory. And you can imagine a kid that's 22 years old like me, that's driving a car with Hodge and Akbar and Don Jardine, the Florida and all these other cats. Uh, you can only imagine the stories I heard and what they told and what I learned from those guys. But a lot of the stories are salacious. You know, they're, they're about, uh, you know, they're sexual escapades and, and, you know, I didn't realize women were that loose and I was so naive. I had no clue. So there's some, there's some great stories there in that regard. I remember. They, they, uh, the, the boys fixing up this uh, woman one time and in Baton Rouge, she was, a, she was a manager of a hotel. So she came to my room, pre predetermined from the boys, Hodge and Akbar, some of the guys, dirty bastards, really bad, 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 bad guys. No, they're all kidding. It was a great rib, but she was a, uh, into S and M. Yeah. So the first thing she wanted to do is 
spanked my ass. I said, well, this is where I'm taking out, honey. Uh, that's why I have that tattoo above my ass. Do not enter. We're going to enter there and we ain't going to spank my ass. How's that for you? And she laughed. Everybody said this, is what you'd say or something like that, but it was a setup because she was going to spank my rear and, and do other painful things to other parts of my anatomy that I chose to not participate. So stories like that, they're all salacious. They're sophomoric. They're wild westish, you know, and some are, some are distasteful. Uh, like that one is told, or, or they are just harmless at, you know, you learn things. Akbar take me to the buffet in Russellville, Arkansas, the, one of those hotels there on the I 40, we get there at two 30 the buffet would be off at three. So we'd eat for 30 minutes straight. Like we we're going on the, the electric chair and that would be the meal of the day or seriously, no breakfast We're driving. That's our lunch. We go to the show in little rock and then we drive back to Tulsa 250 miles. There was no dinner. So you load up on the Chinese food, swell up, your feet swell up, your ankles swell up, everything, what you need swells up. And, and she got, you had all you can eat for two ninety five. dollars Good life. <laughs> Charlie Thrower wants to know, Jim, what can you tell us about Vince McMahon, the person we hear about the business side of him a lot, but can you speak on him as a husband, father, grandfather? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Well, look, uh, Vince has overachieved his entire life in a big, big way. Uh, I got to know him very well. I still have great respect for him. He knows in his heart that if he needed me for anything, that's strong, that's serious as a personal favor or as just as his friend that I would not, I would be there. No doubt. And the same goes for me. I know that in my personal life, if something occurred that I needed to reach out to him, I know he, he would respond quickly and positively. So I, I always believe that he has a very good heart in that respect. I uh, can't tell you all the things he did and said, offered, uh, when Jan got killed. That means a lot to me, folks. It's more than uh, getting pissed off somebody because of a, the, they have a three-hour raw, and it shouldn't be in your view. Now, come on. So I think he's got. Uh, I think he's. I think he's a, a workaholic. I think he's obsessed with this company he's built. I think he's. I think he wouldn't say it, but 
there's nothing really more important or prominent. More important may not be the right word, but more prominent, it seems to me like, than WWE in his life. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's a thing that is there. So I, I he's head, he's he's hard headed. We've had some of the most amazing conversations when we were by ourselves that I've ever had with any other human being in my life. So it's just the fact that I figured out how to communicate with him and he, me, and we always did better. The two of us. And, uh, you know, that's, that's like my wife, Jan said, you know, he's, he, Vince is a lot like Walt Disney or even Michael Jackson to the degree that he didn't fun. He didn't, he didn't do well at times in other people's worlds. So he created his own world that he could be the king of and function better in. And at the end of the day, you start to think about it. You know, that ain't a bad philosophy. Create your own space. Be the, be the, be the king of that space where you're making the decision. So I got no bad things to say about this. He made a lot of money that my kids and my grandkids will be spending someday. Uh, so, and I, again, he was, he's been a great friend when I needed, when I lost the biggest thing in my life, you know, my best friend and my wife, you know, he was, he was standing right there. So that means a lot. You know, one of the things I've always heard about Vince is that he would, or he still does, I guess he works you know, his own schedule. So, you know, there's business meetings that start at 11 o'clock at night. Sometimes, you know, he'll land in a town at 1 AM and then he'll just go straight to work out, but he's got meetings the next morning, regular business hour time. Does Vince ever sleep? He told me one time that JR sleep is our enemy. He should be told, matter of fact, he's told me that more than one time. Sleep is our enemy. Uh, he believes that it's just, that's a credo he has. I think he believes that he can get away with anywhere from three to six hours of sleep a day. And he's, his body, he's lean. He's, he's trains a lot. He's well, he's a lot of protein. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just think that, uh, he just has convinced himself that he doesn't require the sleep that most people do. And as long as psychologically he believes that, then it's going to work for him. But at some point in time, we all know it's just not the way it works. Your body's got to recharge, but he's amazing. A 70 something mid seventies. And is, he's still, still chopping the wood, man. Michael Patzer. He's got an interesting question. He says, uh, on raw where Eric Bischoff's nephew, Eugene debuts, Eugene comes out by the commentary desk and by you. And then he winds up paying homage to the Bushwhackers and starts licking King's head. Did King <laughs> know that was coming or was that a rib? I think that was a little bit of a rib, uh, cause, uh, Jerry was not prepared for that. So the reaction you saw was pretty legit. I thought uh, Nick Densmore did such a phenomenal job as Eugene. And obviously the character in today's world is very unpolitically correct, uh, in the eyes of so many, and I get it. So, uh, but boy, he was a good performer. Still is great worker, good teacher. Uh, you know, he came out of that OVW group with Riff Rogers and Danny Davis and Jim Cornette and all those guys, Al Snow. So he was trained, right? He and Rob Conway were a great team. 
we had a real good operation there at OVW. And I was very proud to be associated with those dudes. But, uh, and the other thing about uh, that Nick Dinsworth is really impressive, Conrad, but you don't know this. He, he, he liked many of my friends, including you, uh, outpunted their coverage in marriage. He's married to Mrs. South Dakota and, uh, Stephanie Dinsmore. She's a beautiful woman and they have their promotion in South Dakota. So check them out sometimes folks. It's always good to help the other guy. And he was one of our guys we recruited and signed. And I, I wish him and her nothing but the very best. Let's, uh, let's do another question here. This one's from uh, Jr. He says, Adam page is my new favorite wrestler. What do you think the ceiling is for the hangman? Well, we haven't seen it yet. We don't, I don't know that there, we realize what his ceiling might be. Uh, he's got a lot of really good qualities. There's no doubt about it. Uh, smart guy, uh, knows what key he's got. He's aware of what's going on. He's aware of what he needs to do to get better. And unlike a, uh, and unlike a lot of guys, quite frankly, uh, he's not unwilling to admit that I need to work on this. Or I need to work on that, whatever it may be. So, uh, Hey, look, the guy graduated from, got a four year degree in two years, two and a half years or something. Uh, he's 27, 28 years old. Uh, he's been a school teacher. He's used his brain to formulate things and, and sort out things. It's so he knows he's got what he's body is body wise. There's things to do there. Uh, there's psychologically always getting better there, but he's got a great look. He's, he's a good, good talker. You know, his cowboy shit line was, uh, uh, proved by Turner. I knew he was going to say it, uh, and it didn't move me one way or the other, but it, the crowd liked it. So then I saw a new t-shirt from pro wrestling tees, which by the way, is doing a lot of neat stuff for a lot of people. And, uh, he had a cowboy cowboy shit shirt. So. Point being is that he's got a bright future and people are going to say, it's like, I got, I said, Eddie, I said that young Eddie Guerrero reminded me of Sammy Guevara in certain little body, body types, emotions, carries himself, you know, this Latino, young, good looking kid thing. Uh, and people got on my ass for it. So I, I guess you're not, a, I don't have the ability to give an opinion any longer, but I can't hear cause this is Conrad, my show. I think Eddie Guerrero and, and, and this kid, Sammy Guevara has some similar traits. That's all. And if it's only an appearance, so be it. I also thought that the Sammy Guevara reminded me of, of Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz. Yeah. Well, either one of them, but yeah, Nate, Nick and Nate, uh, I love hey, those guys are, he got shattered on that damn fight. Stop that fight was a bad move. It's bad for broadcast, New York State Athletic Commission flexing their muscles. It was a nasty-ass cut, but I've seen worse. And uh, he had one more round to go, right, or two more rounds. Bad stoppage, Conrad, nonetheless. Let me ask you a question, JR. Have you ever heard of Daniel Cormier? Of course I have. He's one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. Well, what about uh, Masvidal? Oh, yeah. Bad dude, but another UFC fighter. And officially he is the baddest mother effer in the game. After what we saw at, uh, uh, we'll give Snake Diaz. That's a hell of a fight. So, but anyway, I think Adam page does a few things and what's going to get me damned out of the church. Adam page does a few things that are reminiscent 
in my mind, the way I process things, to Steve Austin, early Steve Austin. And that means that Steve Austin and WCW, the attitudinal thing, the carrying himself, you know, every step means something type guy. And how, you know, so I'm not saying he's going to be the next Stone Cold. God, oh, how good would that be in AEW? But they're, they're, these guys have got something because of these common traits that remind me of, the, of, of a predecessor that was truly great. Let's, uh, let's take another question here about your hats. This comes from Michael. He wants to know, is there a particular brand of hat you've worn through your career or do you switch it up? Uh, back in the day, I bought this hats off the shelf, right? Probably usually a Stetson or resist all. Then for Christmas one year, I got a, uh, resist all 100 X hats are judged by their, how many X's they have on the band. And the top of the mark, I think is a hundred, I think. Uh, so I got a black resist all 100 X hat from, uh, stone cold and his then wife, Deborah. Uh, and then the next year or a year after that, I got another one. So for a couple of years, I rolled with those. And then when I, when Jan and I moved to Oklahoma, I heard this place called shorties, cowboy hattery shorties, cowboy hattery. It's in the stockyards district of and they make hats. So since I discovered those, those guys, I have them make my hats and they're hundred percent beaver, uh, little, little jacked up, uh, sweatband, little, little bit of quality, uh, cost you about a grand, about a thousand bucks. Uh, and I can call them on the phone and say who, who I am. And that's Jr. when I need to get the hat. They know I, I use three eyelets on each side. They know it's, a, it's about a four inch brim hat, black hundred, you know, best you can buy, but they last you forever. These. These hats are long uh, outlive me. They'll probably be on eBay someday. My kids probably say, what do you think dad's hats are worth? <laughs> so anyway, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Oklahoma City, Shorty's Cowboy Hattery. And they're one of the few hatteries they make. They get the basic fur and then they form it, do all the stuff. It's, it's an amazing process, all custom made. Another interesting question here from the heel pop. That's about a sensitive talent situation. He says, who made the call to have the ladies enhance their upper gimmicks like Sable, China, et cetera. Were you a part of those sensitive meetings? Please chat me up about this. Uh, society. It was a WWE decision. The women are not stupid. They, they knew what we were selling at that time and the, and their, for their, for their gender. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about, um, Chris's question. Cause this is a good one. If you go back in time to 1997 and reverse Montreal where Brett stays, but Sean leaves, would you do it? Why or why not? <clears throat> I, I am, my philosophy is kind of straightforward here. Uh, and it's kind of what I used to tell some of the talents. If, 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 if you have an issue, then I've got an issue. Cause I'm representing you and I want, you know, I need you to be happy and productive. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> but, uh, if I can't solve your problem, then we have no other alternative. If you collectively, we cannot solve your problem. The only alternative we have is to eliminate it. 
So uh, if a talent doesn't want to be there, if the talent wants to leave your team, if your talent's going to be a negative influence in the locker room, then I said, let them go. Figure it out. Figure, figure out a, a play, a, an exit strategy that, you, that doesn't sting as much, but don't let it linger. Uh, and off you go. So I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't have had an issue either one, either way. Hey, they're both great stars. They both, you know, had amazing careers there. They both had a lot left in the tank as it, we thought. And even though both of them got injury issues, you can't go wrong. If you got Sean Michaels or Brett Hart on your team, but the one that wanted to leave should have been allowed to leave. I, you know, I don't know how anybody could really argue that, but it is sort of fun to, to fantasy book all of that. Sure. Uh, I think, I think about that stuff too, from time to time. What if, you know, what is the fantasy booking thing? Well, let's fantasy book something else. Corey wants to know, should AEW bring in Bischoff? And if so, under what role? You know, there again, you know, I haven't talked to Eric since he left WWE. I don't know that he's had his fill of, uh, daily or regular wrestling or, you know, where he's doing something on a regular basis. I know he's got his podcast, uh, the, he does with you and, uh, 83 weeks, very successful, does very well. And we're happy to say that for Eric. And, uh, but you know, I don't know what his, what his long-term goals are. Would he want to be involved in an AEW? Is that something you enjoy really doing, having fun doing it, or it's just another payday type deal. Uh, he's got a lot to offer. There's no doubt about that, but uh, you know, he would have to be a manager or have to be a, uh, some sort of authority figure type deal or somebody's agent or something along those lines. He's not going to be, you know, you eliminate certain roles for him because his, his uh, skill set and his age. So there's, he's not going to come in and be your top heel. He's not taking Jericho's spot. Duh. So some other, some other, a uh, more, a uh, verbal role, but you know, who knows? I, you have to ask him what he's interested in doing. So maybe something he talks about on Mondays. Fascinating question here. I'm curious on your take. David wants to know, will Earl Hebner ever make it to the WWE hall of fame? Well, certainly Earl should be in the WWE hall of fame. Uh, but I say, I don't look, I used to would say, oh no, you'll never make it. But the culture there is changing so much in that I, I thought over the years, that the, uh, hall of fame was, could have, should have more meaning. I've always thought that the hall of fame, I fish just the best one time that the WWE hall of fame should have a line of merchandise. It should have uh, gear, uh, and have opportunities for the hall of famers to go out and make extra money. Uh, you know, has, and then of course you'd have the, you'd have a logo for the hall of fame. And that would be something that would be a shared revenue, shared royalty. Uh, I know the Heisman trust has, I had lunch today with Steve Owens who won the Heisman in 69 here in Norman at OU. And, uh, we were talking about their line of merchandise and how well it does. And it's not even promoted that much. It's, it's a real good quality sports attire of the Heisman brand. So, uh, so anyway, I, that's what I would say about the hall of fame. I think it's been kind of, it's it seems like it's always a fast deal. Oh, we got to pick the hall of fame guys by Friday. And there should be more thought put into it and all that. I'd like to see that change a little bit for them. Uh, and not just because I'm in the hall of fame, but you know, I have, I have pride in it. I take pride in it. I still take pride in it. 
so, but I don't know. I Hall of Fame is a tough subject for me to talk about. I, but I but Earl should be in it. But I, I don't I don't know where the political landscape would be for to encounter that because here's the deal: Earl's biggest claim to fame. Whether we like it or not, and he's a hell of a guy, a good friend, is the Montreal screw job. So somehow that's that's the origins of his becoming famous. And that might not be the topic we're going to talk about. It's the same analogy I'll give you by saying that Chris Benoit should never go in the Hall of Fame because it's all going to be about him killing his wife and his little boy and committing suicide. All's re dug up. You want to relive that again? You want to know the story? You want to have the, the reporters go interview other people or, or 20 years later, whatever it would be. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't need to relive any of that. So, uh, that's kind of how I look at that Conrad. It's just, it's, a uh, Earl should be in and be great for him, but I don't think it'll ever happen. Quite frankly, Tim Riggle wants to know, why does everyone hate Terry Taylor? I don't know. Everybody hates Terry Taylor. He's got a Terry's, uh, can, can have Terry. Terry is a, uh, can be a wise ass and can be, uh, you know, kind of, uh, sharp tongued. I think a lot of just the extent of his personalities, I think sometimes it's a defense mechanism for him to distract him. But you know, Terry's most of this stuff is harmless, but in, in the wrestling business, you know, the, the gossip and the innuendo and the dirt and all this other stuff, is such a vital part of the underbelly of what many of us have spent our lives in. And sometimes when you walk through shit, you can't help but get a little bit on your shoes. Well, that's fair to say. Scott Ingram wants to know, you may have covered this before, but what was up with the undertaker being called booger red during his American badass run? Well, that was my nickname, Scott. I had discussed this before, uh, in, in Texas college football lore, uh, Texas had a linebacker, a middle linebacker by the name of Tommy Nobis. N O B I S. They also play. He was his first draft pick of the Atlanta Falcons. Tommy had red hair, had a size 20 neck and they called him booger red. Booger red was the red because he had red hair as did the undertaker by the by. And a booger is a word. If you look it up, it's like a, uh, oh shoot a a goblin or a ghoul or a some, uh, uh, you know, a manifestation of some spirit, evil spirit. So that's why Tommy Nobis got the name Booger Red. So here I see the, I think it was during the Undertaker's, uh, maybe it was under, under in that American Badass era. And I called him Booger Red. And it caused an amazing uproar backstage. I don't think Mark gave a damn. Oh, but nobody else. What's it mean? We don't know what it means. You know, you guys are, you mean you're actually listening to my commentary? I'll be damned. You know, you know, it's stupid. So I quit using it. They got too much backlash internally because they didn't create it. And all the big, a lot of those big nicknames, you know, Texas rattlesnake, the cerebral assassin, a lot of those things were my, my, my stuff. So anyway, 
didn't go anywhere. It didn't. I was on the wrong side of the aisle, Conrad. You know what I'm saying? Saying. Francis Reyes wants to know what's the worst hotel you ever stayed at. Oh Jesus! There's a one in England I stayed at. Uh, the Jury Inn, J-U-R-Y-I-N-N. I can't remember what town it was in. It might have been in Manchester. It could have been in, oh, God, maybe Manchester or I don't know. Somewhere on one of those, when I was doing these, uh, the, uh, the uh, Q&As, stage shows, I love doing those when I can. But we were on one tour, and we stayed at the Jury Inn. I saw more call girls and pimps in that place. At least that's my suspicion. I'll say, let me say it this way. I saw what I perceived to be more ladies of the night. And, uh, I remember getting my bed in my room. I could sit on the end of my bed and reach and change channels on the television. That's how small it was. So it was like a, my bed was like a, uh, the bottom of a bunk bed. It was horrible, horrible. Small, depressing. Couldn't wait to get on the train the next day. Then made everything all better. Yeah, Jury Inn was the one that's most memorable that I thought was a little, uh, a little, you know, hotel hell type thing. Last one. Reamster wants to know if you could say any one thing to Jim Hurd, what would it be? Oh, how you doing? How you feeling? He's old. Yeah, I, I, I just can't, I feel bad for some fans that, uh, think it's important to, uh, carry this negative shit forward. And it, I, and I, I love wrestling fans. I'm still a diehard to my bone marrow wrestling fan, but, and I was like that for much of my fandom and my years as a fan until I realized that's just stupid. Why worry about something that was perceived to be whatever it was? I didn't know what it was. Hurd was not a positive guy. He had no product knowledge. He tried hard. He had the right ideas as far as having a work ethic. He wanted to be involved, but he had bad ideas. was all subjective anyway, but none of them worked. Uh, he wanted to make changes he was not prepared to make for change's sake, which I say all along in wrestling, change for change's sake is bullshit, but it's the reason for change. How is it going to better us and further us down the road? Or is it just change for change sake? Well, we got to do something different, Well, give me a plan, figure it out. It's a little knee jerk. So, uh, but that's, I would say, you know, I, I, I often think about that guy, how he's, how he's doing. Is he healthy? You know, life things, real life stuff. So. Uh, but I don't have any driven animosity for him. Let's have a little fun with this. We hope that you guys have had fun with this special Q and a episode. Hey, Connor, I got to mention, uh, last week I was scheduled to go out to, uh, Southern California. Uh, the folks, great people at, uh, Island empire toy store, bringing me out to, uh, for Dave investors appearance, uh, in Ontario. I got a notice on Thursday from American airlines, uh, a, a, a a warning essentially that my flight could be hazardous or whatever they said it was. So I, they're telling me basically flying into the fire, uh, was probably not the greatest idea that there's a chance I could be diverted or delayed or the flight could be canceled. Uh, 
And so we collectively, my team decided I would not risk flying into the fire and that we would reschedule it. So I want to apologize to the folks there at uh, Island Empire Toy Store. They're very understanding. They got it. They, they know they live there. They, they know what's happening. So for all you folks that are out there in Southern California that are having these issues, we thank you for listening to our show because I know you got a lot more important things to do. But if we can bring you just a little bit of entertainment and some fun, that's our job. We just want to have fun here, maybe enlighten you a little bit, inform you some. Like today's show is more information. And then sometimes we it's, it's more humorous. So it's a, it's a variety show that we love doing. And as long as you're enjoying it, and many of you are, which we're grateful, uh, we thank you. So for a few folks in Southern California, you know, just keep up the good fight, man. We're thinking about you. We absolutely are. And, uh, we look forward to next week. We're going to be sitting down to talk about one of the best shows of all time. Clash of the champions, nine New York knockout, make your, uh, your plan to join us next week. We're going to be sitting down on the 13th, just two days prior to the 30 year anniversary. Uh, and man, what a show that was in Troy, New York, the main event, of course, one of the most famous matches ever, an I quit match with Ric Flair and Terry Funk. And underneath that Lex Luger and Brian Pillman, the Steiner brothers and the skyscrapers, the super destroyer and Dr. Death, the midnight express and the dynamic dudes doom taking on Eddie Gilbert and Tommy rich and the fabulous Freebirds, unbelievably in there with the road warriors. This is a fun, fun show. We hope you guys will check it out. Of course, that main event got five stars from Dave Meltzer. And if you've got a question about clash of the champions, nine New York knockout, go ask us right now on Twitter. It's at Jr. grilling. That's at Jr. grilling until next week. We'll see you right here. Every Thursday, only on Westwood one for grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross. Hey everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of fantasy NBA today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.